With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler, buddy. How you doing tonight? Sunday night. Uh, we got one after a win. We got one uh, after a win. Yeah, we get to we get to do this after a win. I forgot what it felt like. Feels so much better to do one of these without a win, even though it's only been two weeks. But you know, the 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 losses just take more of a toll on us, right? And uh, you know. You got a lot of fun tonight, a lot of discussions about the game and some more fun stuff with something you got into earlier this week. And, uh, Brian, the, the finish line is Tuesday for you, right? Uh, yeah, if I can get, well, really, if I can get through tomorrow night, um, the, the next month is going to go a lot smoother. Um, well, at least things slow down a little bit. My, my week becomes more manageable, so... I'll, I'll 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 take the slowdown. He he piled, he passed the mile marker of finishing youth sports in the fall this weekend. Fall youth sports is over. Uh, I got one of my two classes wrapped up this past Wednesday. I think I talked about that a little bit uh, when we went last time. So, yeah. Um, and then the last of well, the second of three. Uh, big presentations for the other class takes place tomorrow. So, yep. Once I get that knocked out, should be pretty smooth sailing down the home stretch. Much much easier for you from here on out. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm look. I'm looking forward to uh, you know. I know we're going into the holidays, which is always something to look forward to. But it's nice to take a little bit off the plate gradually as we ease into that, because obviously, with all that stuff comes a little bit extra stuff for for me to do as well so it'll be nice having a little bit lighter load to compensate for some of that new stuff coming down the pike absolutely and see you're a little lucky this year when you make that move you don't have to do what i had to do speaking of holidays neighbor up the street put the tree out i got the look you need to go to the attic and start pulling everything down so (laughs) so before the game saturday uh pulling a little bit of Christmas down and then pretty much all morning pulling Christmas decorations down. And I, I gave my wife a little grief, but she was like, listen, you know how much stuff we have, right? I'm like, yeah, we, we have, we, we decorate for Christmas. You've been here. We decorate, you know, we've got, she's like, if we tried to start Thanksgiving week, I wouldn't get everything up until the week of Christmas. 
and I want to enjoy the decorations. Like, you know what, hon? Whatever you want, let's do it. Um, it it's not a big deal. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I get the want to like compartmentalize Halloween, then Thanksgiving, then Christmas, but you know, for folks that either travel on Thanksgiving or are constantly on the go that weekend. You know, you can't always get it done. I mean, we got we got a game to watch after after Thanksgiving. We do. We're, we're, we're not going to want to. We're, we're not going to be one to get the damn decorations put up. No, get them all. Um, get, get get at least a good start going the weekend mm-hmm. before, which is probably what we're going to do. Probably next weekend, we're going to get a good jump on it and then wrap it up once we get back from my mom's the following weekend after Thanksgiving. So there you go. There you go. All right, Brian. Let's jump into it, man. Hokies with, I mean, our predictions, we thought it was going to be a close game, but offense, defense, and special teams all show out. Hokies blow the doors off of Duke. Kind of a bittersweet revenge game for Justin Fuente. Speaking of, because two years ago was the ugly game in lane. He blows out Duke 48-17. And let's flip on the offense first, Brian. Finally, the Hokies have returned back to over 500 yards of total offense. We can do that? I didn't know we could do that. We did. I didn't know we had that in us. But, I mean, it started on the running game, though, right? The running game got going, um, you know, what, 297 was over 300 before the kneel down? Yeah, the kneel down is um, four yards. So we – Yeah. <laughs> so over 300, and probably the more impressive was, like, it was over 300, and the carry – I think – let me get it back up here. It's one thing I did not notate. Wonderful me. But I had it right here. There it is. Efforting on 40 carries. On 41 carries, do the math. That's over seven a carry. I don't care who you're playing. You run the ball that many times and get seven a carry, you're you're going to win, and usually you're going to do what we did, which is absolutely blow the doors off of them. And uh, l- let's talk about the guy who absolutely led the way, monster first half and monster game overall, Raheem Blackshear. Brian, 117 yards on the ground. Um, 9.8 per carry. What did you see just overall in his game on Saturday? Um, he was definitely, he's, and, and his game has gotten a lot better, uh, as the seasons went along. And this was, this was the big, the big game. I think all of us were kind of waiting for, for Blackshear and, and it finally happened, happened against Duke. I think just because he's gotten better with his, with his like one cut and go, he's, he's, been more decisive with his um with his cuts um i think that's really helped his game uh duke was really poor all day setting the edge getting to the spill area and um he was able to really run inside and outside and just he was able to really get to the second level and when he gets to the second level he he's shifty he makes guys miss um and he did a good job of uh Showing some of the speed, he doesn't necessarily have breakaway speed, but he has good speed and can uh, can can turn things into a big play there. Um, so g- great job by Blackshear, um, Malachi Thomas. Unfortunately, had a rough day, but we had 
a Keyshawn King sighting, and boy, did it blow up. It absolutely did. He he reintroduced himself to us, Hokies, nine for 90. I mean, 10 yards of carry. He also had some receiving in there. We'll discuss that in a little while here. And then, you know, the Fuente comment that really caught my ear, um, saw it quoted here. You know, I think it's a glimpse of what Keyshawn is capable of. I love Keyshawn King. I'm underlining my desire to continue to do things the right way. He knows that. That's the beautiful part about it. And there's not a more pleasurable person to be around when he's right. Hey, in this game, I felt like it was time to reward him with some opportunities, and he did not disappoint. So, sounds like he was not completely in the doghouse, but obviously because he had been on kick return, making an effort there, getting a carry here and there but obviously worked back towards getting in that rotation. Um, and then with the, you know, the the bad day for Malachi with you know, only 10 yards, um, not not great at all for him on seven carries, he added that extra spark. Yep. Um, he ran hard. And I think you, you talked about Raheem, and even with Keyshawn with some of the runs yesterday, the vision and the decisive cuts. They got to a point, they saw where it was, and they just cut. They did not run into the back of anyone. And it, and I don't know if you saw this last night on Twitter or today, Brian, Khalil Herbert retweeting him, kind of giving him a, give him a congratulations. And it seems like they're – I don't know if he's in their ear sending the messages of what to see, what to talk about, but both of those guys, it's – you see so many times these guys who are so athletic like this, they try to get out. They try to get out. When in reality, you know, for being an offensive lineman, things are being set up. You have to choose where to go. You got to be able to, num- number one, trust that the blocks will be there, but also read the blocks as they happen. Because sometimes, depending on what the defense does, there's going to be some some adjustment to that aiming point potentially. So, there, there's a couple things that happen in real time and, and the really best backs can be both patient and decisive at the same time. And that's what Herbert was so good at. He, he was patient, but he was decisive. Once he made a decision of how he was setting things up, he'd get through there and he had the, the, the ability to turn a big one into a, into a touchdown um, just with his speed and his ability to break those uh, arm tackles at the second level. And, and Raheem showed, um, you know, promise there. And I think this was really, we really focused on getting the running backs involved in the game plan altogether um, yep. from jump street. And, 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 I, and they showed out, they showed that they were capable of getting the job done. They really did. I mean, they showed they were capable of getting the job done. They go over 200 combined on, you know, not that many carries. I mean, I think they were over eight per carry, which is just insane combined. Um, a little bit more than that, actually. But let's talk about also up front, Brian. Let's look at the offensive lineman. Brock Hoffman was out, saw him street clothes, um, boot on the sideline. Be interesting to see if he's back any more games this season or potentially the bowl game. He did participate in the senior day ceremony, so – kind of the writings on the wall there, but we started out our starting five when we first rolled out was Luke Tenuta, Lasita Smith, Johnny Jordan, Silas Danzi, and Terrell Smith. Terrell Smith ran 25. I'm sure that warmed your heart to see a low number on a lineman 
And then we saw, you know, Caden Moore and Parker Clements um, get some action as well on the right side. What was your assessment of the line pretty much in all aspects yesterday? Uh, when I saw Moore and Parker out there, that's when the line looked the best, in my opinion. Um, and I thought Johnny did a good job at center. Um, we didn't quite have as much uh, push in the middle as we've had in in some other weeks, but I think he did a good job of getting everyone set up um, in this in in place of Brock because uh, and he and he's ran center some for us this year. Uh, with Brock moving moving along the line early in the season, we were still working out who who our five were. Um, but I, I think that Moore and Parker showed have shown some uh, some jump in the last few weeks. Um, and Silas was pretty steady when he was in there. Um, so I mean, overall, good effort by the offensive line. There wasn't a whole lot of glaring things uh, that popped out to me. Uh, we could have been a little bit better on the inside zone, uh, kind of some some of the inside combos there. But other than that, uh, good job overall. Let's let's flip and talk about um, Moore and Parker. Um, P- Moore obviously has more games under his belt. Parker, a few behind. But you talked about that was the best we looked. Is this just one of those things? The reps are finally catching up, and it's the whole. Head versus feet. Head, I'm, and I'm assuming with an offensive lineman, head, feet, and arms, it's they're not thinking anymore. It's just becoming natural. When they hear the play call, I know what I'm going to do. If he puts his hand on my left shoulder, I know how I'm going to – is it just becoming more natural because of just – Yeah, I mean, they're, they're no longer thinking about what they have to do. It's more about, you know, once they do it, how the defense reacts and then what they have to do to counter that. Um in real time. So essentially everything after the snap, not, not thinking a whole lot before the snap, um, which is good that, that you don't want your linemen thinking before they take their first step. You, you want them to know exactly what they're doing, exactly where they're going and what they're going to do when they get there. Um, so I think that's the big thing. You see more uh, come on a lot, a lot more lately. Um, he had a, some really good blocks, I think, on a couple screens downfield. Parker was down downfield on the screen getting some blocks. Um, so, I mean, they were doing some good stuff in, in various ways. It wasn't just in the run game. So um, really like the potential there. Uh, we got to see if they're going to take another step going into next season. Um, but definitely early returns on both of them are better than anticipated. Great to hear. All right, well, let's not forget – the man getting every snap, Braxton Burmeister. Not to get him, did get some snaps when Braxton went down with a uh, little uh, wrist injury, but he did get back out there. And I'll just say this, Brian, when we actually run read options and we have some design runs and he's allowed to scramble, but in keeping him under that 10 threshold, this actually helps not only him a ton, it helps his team a ton. I mean, he had 71 yards on just nine carries. Yeah, and and it was a plethora of things. Yeah, we saw how the offense opened up um, once he uh, w- was keeping more. Once he showed that he was a threat in the running game, um, but nine carries, seventy-one yards. I mean that that's a big day. That's that's probably the best day he's had since at some point last year uh, in terms of running the football. Um, and 
what he did, I mean, he, he didn't get hurt on a play where he's keeping it. I mean, uh, okay. and he did a good job of getting down when he did take hits. It wasn't those type of hits where, you know, it's a big lick or an awkward uh, fall. Uh, he, he, he was able to go down, get back up, play the next play. And I think that's what we probably needed most of the season. Uh, to really open things up in the running game for the running backs early on. And obviously, if you can run effectively, that that helps in the passing game. And we saw those numbers take some steps this week as well. Oh, absolutely we did. Um, Nine for 15, very efficient day, passing the ball, 215 yards, three touchdowns, the one awkward interception – which could have been disastrous, but give Braxton credit for holding on to the guy's leg before somebody yeah. could get there to clean it up. Um, but I think with the passing, he is what he is. I, I don't, and, and I don't think unless you have an exceptional teacher in that room, which we're showing that we don't, that he's probably not going to grow much more than what he is. And it's, you're going to have to have a really good running game. Um yeah, and, and, and I th- so I'll say this, and I'll look at last year. We we had really what four sample size games from last year to kind of Very think true. about what Braxton was going to be this year uh, before the season started. Uh, we had the two in early in the season, and then the two at the end of the season. Yep, and I think really if you sum those four games up, we're getting about the same Braxton that we got last year. True. Uh, a couple top end games are kind of like those end end of the season ones, and the bottom end games are are kind of closer to what he did in those uh, in that NC State game and that Duke game. Um, so yeah. it, it kind of it is what it is, um, and we see that when we can run the ball effectively, and when we do incorporate him into the run game deliberately, um, he can be more efficient with the football. But in terms of slinging it around and throwing deep balls, I mean, that that's not what he's going to do consistently. No. We can pop one every now and again when it's set up, when it's schemed, uh, when he's got the, the, a wide-open throw, when he can step into the throw. Yeah. like the, all, all those things have to be in place for, for deep balls to be, to be the bread and butter. Um, and it, it baffles me that it took so long to – figure out that we need to do all these things in order for him to have success in the passing game. Yeah. It it just shows you that there is maybe some, I don't want to say it's ignorance, but something along those lines in that room to not understand that. And I mean, and and give credit this week too, to the offensive game plan, because you always talk about, we need to ease them into it. First play of the game was a shot, but the first play of the game was a shot that was set up perfect. And he just overthrew him. All right, that's fine. What I really enjoyed, though, is we took – we didn't go crazy on shots like we did against Pitt. We didn't try to throw a ton of screens like we did against West Virginia or the medium range and short games like we've seen at times. It was a good mix of passes. Yeah. Essentially, Duke at no point in time could key on exactly what we were doing in the passing game. And that's why we, that's why he was so efficient, you know, averaging, you know, over 15 yards an attempt, you know, or right at 15 yards an attempt. And when you're, again, when you're in that, 
anytime you break 10, in my opinion, you're doing good, you know, yeah. but a 15 yard attempt um, is, is really good. And I mean, we're going to get into some at the end here. So hold your tongue, Brian, because I know what you want to do. He's going to hold his tongue. Let's move. Let's talk, about, let's talk about the use of Raheem Blackshear and Keyshawn King in the passing game. Both score TDs. That, again, you've always given him credit. And I don't know how much of it's him, how much it's Justin Fuente or other people in that room. That play design on the Keyshawn King touchdown, dude, that was brilliance. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good design. Um, and the designs that are there, I've never had that much criticism. I, my, my criticism is we don't target all the field consistently enough. And we have plays like that in our back pocket, and we don't fucking call them ever. <laughs> <laughs> like, why, why are we sitting on this for Duke when we're sub 500? Like, what? Where the fuck Where was, was this? this? Where was this in PC? <laughs> because the play that the the pattern Keyshawn King, even without a running threat of a quarterback, because sorry here, I got the burps today. That play was not a it was just a straight outside zone, right? That's all the play was. It was an outside zone fake. Outside zone fake. It showed one of the inside guys went on like a little flare out and then post wheel combo. That could have been used against BC. That could have been used against Pitt. That could have been used potentially against Syracuse. What absolutely could have used me against Pitt because Pitt plays a lot of the same type of techniques and coverage on defense that uh, that Duke plays. So what what the hell are we doing there? Um, and Lummy Lummy looked like he was on a Mars. He didn't know what, what he was doing there. He was completely lost. <laughs> oh, good player, bad day. We've seen it yeah. all the time. But well, but, I said I said in man coverage he was suspect. <laughs> and it, he got and it, he got burned about three times in man coverage. Like big plays, not just uh not just left. Yeah. Not just we giving up to, completions. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the other guy we already mentioned him, Raheem Blackshear called a touchdown. Um, had a big gain in the screen and then another one for the TD. I- I'm assuming you were licking your chops when you saw both those plays called because just watching them, the setups, you on, on on the on the touchdown when we ran jet sweep fake, and that whole defense went whoop to the opposite side of the field. And when Braxton dunked it, it was like a three on one for the offensive lineman. Like we don't have anybody to block yeah. here. So if you somebody take that out, guy. <laughs> I mean, tell me what you felt about both those screens, just the design of them. Again, good designs. Where are they in other games this year? Yeah, I mean, the the first one, um, I think we had seen maybe once or twice. That that second one with that motion, um, yeah, I think that's maybe the first time we've seen that all year. Um I feel like the first time we've seen it. And, you know, again, I just talked about it a little bit, but I think that's some of the problem. Like I, I love getting things, getting the running backs involved in the passing game here. Um, I like screen. I know, I know some people out there in Hokie nation, like, Oh, another screen. 
when when screens work they fucking work now the problem is that they're a often called at the wrong times by our coordinator and b we run the same three over and over and and don't incorporate some of this different motion different looks um different design to really uh keep the defense off balance and show them something they haven't seen before so again i'm not sure why we're breaking all these uh these things out against duke um, other than it being really a must win, uh, to, to not be the worst team in the conference. Um, <laughs> so, True. you know, we've at least, uh, established that Virginia tech, not the worst team in the ACC, not the worst team, uh, in the ACC by far. Um, and it's because of guys like the three, the couple guys we've mentioned in Tavion Robinson. And I tell you, Every time he gets his ball on a punt return, you just feel like it's coming. You know, he had three yesterday, 73, including a big 43-yarder that just flipped the field. Again, it's a it's a net punt nightmare. I remember the first punt, he got like 15 yards. They were like, the 35-yard punt with a 15-yard return. Damn, they didn't get anything on that. Nope. And, and then just, you know, overall, four for 78 had – the, the the fail Mary where he was just short of the end zone caught and some other short couple other short intermediate routes. One was a really nice hook um, that a couple plays later we'd score a touchdown and then an out route. Just every week it seems like his 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 um, his route tree gets bigger. He gets more confidence. Um, you know. Where it looks like Trey Turner is leaving next year, I think Tavion's going to easily step into the number one role. Yeah, and, and and what he does, he he really can line up all over the field. Um, he's probably more of a natural fit in the slot, but he can line him up outside. He's got the full complement of the route tree. Um, you mentioned the fail Mary. Um, let's talk about that two minute drive just a little bit. Um, why do we go hella conservative in that situation? And then as soon as you bust one one good run, you're like, okay, well now, now we wasted all this time. Now we need to hurry up again. I'm not mad about that. Can I tell you what I'm mad about? <laughs> what you mad about? There's 40 seconds left. We're at the what 47. Yeah, we're about we're about what 10 10 yards from Romo getting a shot to kick it right. Yep. We have three timeouts. Three, not one, not two. We have all three. And we are like going downfield or going sideline routes. You can still run screens. You can still run the ball. You can still take shots over the middle of the field. We were acting like we had Why are we acting like we've got to either get a bunch of yards or get out of bounds? Like neither of those are our have tos. Well, you sit here and it, 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 again, it's, 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 it's ineptitude. Because you should know, I've got three timeouts. If we bring a 10-yarder over the middle, we burn one. Quick set up. And then I can sit there and say, now we're at the 37. Do the math. That's about a 53-yarder. Romo's made. Which one? The 51-yarder looked good from 61 earlier this year. Yeah, I know the wind was whipping yesterday, and he played into that first kick that he missed because he thought it was going to bring tried to put He tried to put that into the wind, and then the wind – didn't do anything for him. He didn't do it. So the rest of them, he just aimed dead center and banged them through. Yep. But you get you get 10 yards. Timeout. Well, let's get 10 more. 
Now we're at the, now you're at the 25 where you can legitimately take three shots at the end zone or take one more shot and try to get 10 to 15 yards closer. It's just bad. It's it's just terrible play calling. Because well, you're terrible play calling, terrible game management, um, everything. Communication between the play caller and the person that is responsible for getting timeouts on the field, namely Corn and Fuente. And Fuente. Corn um, calls Fuente not telling him I have three timeouts. Your entire playbook is open. Yeah. I know you don't, and and that's part of like communicate. Make sure your play caller is doing what you think needs to be done, because exactly. the buck stops with you, buddy. Yep, it's one hundred percent. All right, Brian. Let's just talk about the last two receivers real quick. Um, Trey only had one catch, circus catch, but I, I noticed on a few other passing plays after that one big circus catch and them targeting him. The safety was over top of him the rest of the day. He was yep. he was not getting any more single man coverage, and I think that helped open up. It helped open up the run game, and it helped open up you know things for guys like Caleb Smith, um, who had one of his. It wasn't statistically big, but the guy caught a touchdown from walk on to scholarship to catching touchdowns from up here in Louisa County. Big. Big play Trey, letting everybody else get the big plays because they were scared as hell of him, and Caleb Smith taking it home. Yeah, and I, I think Trey was just happy to play that game. Yeah. Uh, if we're if we're being honest with, like, knowing that it's going to be his last game in lane, just the fact he was able to go out there and and, and finish the game, I think that was big for him. Uh, and, sh- and shout out to Trey Turner. Um, like, everything you could want in a Hokie. Um, yep. So, I mean, great, great career here. Um, so shout out to him on playing his last home game as a Hokie. Can I say something too about that? Yep. Had a buddy went up with his kids and Trey actually during the Hokie walk came over and gave him all five. He's got a picture yep. of it. Just, just shows you. Yeah. Very I mean, cool. he, he is definitely a, a, a fans player. Yep. Absolutely. Fan favorite, like everything you want to put put in that bucket that's what trey turner is so shout out to trey great great job um and we've we've loved watching you play here yes we have and then caleb tell me you saw the uh give credits to whoever was the producer for that game yesterday when they showed the caleb smith touchdown because they had ran like in the little run game where he was blocking and then he released and he went up field. Two plays later, they run the same play. He's blocking. The guy just sheds him, like forgets about him. The safeties come up, and it's the seam. We we yep. use the seam again. <laughs> that exists. It exists. Two times now. Two times. Wow. Yeah. And I, you know, I like that, that we had the setup there. I like that we were getting inventive with how we were going to get our guys open in the passing game. Um. I just keep going back to where the hell has this been? Um, right. I don't know why we're we're emptying the playbook for Duke. <laughs> All right, Brian, let's let's do it. Brian has a juxtaposition. Brian is a little heated, so go ahead, Brian. And, and it's it's not just this year. Seems like every year under this coaching staff. Well, it seems like every year we have 
the bad game followed up by something like this, right? We've had, you know, Pit, and then we follow that up. We've got this game, we follow it up. I mean, I'm just, I'm a little confused that we, you know, last year we've had some games very similar to that. Um, essentially the entire month of November and December, then we get UVA. Uh, like, why can't we... So essentially win the games that we should win all the time. Well, well, Brian. Or most of the time, right? Go back go back to the first year. The loss of the Syracuse in the Dome. Yeah. Not like a one or two point got just got smashed. You know what the you remember what the next game was? What was that? It was the Miami game. That first year Miami game where we absolutely curb stomped them. Yeah, and let's talk about Miami game. That was the game after Duke in 2019 where we get blown out by Duke and then we go out and shock Miami. Uh, nobody gave us a chance in that game. No, not at all. Not at all. So it's just one of those weird things where it's like it's an MO of this coaching staff. Just like we're going to have a really bad game, like just bad, bad in all aspects do some really screwed up things. But then the next week, we're going to make the fans, us included, like, where where, where was this? Yeah. This year, we get to say, where was this during multiple games? Not just, where was this last week? Even yeah. though we get a direct correlation back to last week. So hopefully, what the feel is, it's not too more much more of this Brian hopefully they can carry the momentum to Miami which is going to be a night game down yeah. in Miami um 7 30 kick right 7 30 ACC network kick so good times on that Brian let's flip let's talk about the defense for a few minutes here before we get to a few more things popped up we talked about Gunnar Holmberg Gunnar Holmberg ruled out the last second ruled out but fully dressed so I'm guessing he was there emergency emergency QB He's an emergency quarterback. If if everybody was injured, well, essentially the guys they had, the two other guys they had, uh, yeah. you know, he would have came in. Um, essentially good enough to play, but not good enough where you felt like he could go a full game of getting pounded on. So it, smart it, move. I mean, it, it benefited us. I mean, it definitely they, they it took some of their teeth out of the passing game. Yep. But, of course, we was two more athletic quarterbacks, right? Holmberg's like here, Riley Leonard's like here, and Moore, who finally came in, is like here. Um, So uh, it it was clearly something where if he was dressed, he just hadn't probably – he probably hadn't done any of the lead-up. It probably had just been Moore, probably had just been Leonard. And that's to our, you know, credit – or to our credit, though, having those guys on, we still held them under 100 yards below their average. Yeah. Well over 100 yards below their average. And then on the money downs, they sh- we, we show up again, unlike BC. goes back to the juxtaposition. They were five for 19. They were dreadful on third and fourth downs. And it, it's why we sort of dominated the game. Yeah, definitely one of our better defensive performances of the year. I, I put it at least in kind of the top three there. Um Nothing, nothing will really match what we did week one against UNC. Um, no. We really, we really peaked early uh, <laughs> defensively. 
uh, and it's been a kind of an up and down back half, but this this was one of the the better uh, better games for us, and it started with the guys inside uh, at, the, at the at the linebacker position, uh, Dax Hollyfield, Alan Tisdale, probably the overall best games they've had all year. Definitely the best games they've had in the in the month of uh, October and November. Yeah. Um, you know, tackling well, that they had tackles for loss, had some sacks. Um, Tisdale was in there, uh, making some, making some noise. Dax had some, some key stops on some key downs. Um, so you love to see that. Um, D-line got pressure all day. Didn't, didn't really get to finish those. Um, but they definitely put the quarterbacks in some bad spots. Uh, some errant throws, some throws, you know, released, sooner than they were ready off target, things like that. Uh, forced a lot of throws on the run and a lot of throws, just getting rid of the ball because they ran out of time. Oh, absolutely. And the other thing, both the front half did all together. Mateo Durant was not a factor. A thousand yard running back was no factor. Um, he only had 10 carries and, uh, one of the other running backs we did not mention the other week, but Trent Davis was out there more because he's more of a pass catcher. Yeah. So yeah, they, they really had to they had to go away from their game plan and and really with with the quarterbacks they had in there, they would have much preferred to stick with a with a run first offense, and we got them out of that real quick. Oh yes, we did. Oh yes, we did. Um, now there was one time near the end of the game where they did get home. Did Norrell Pollard and Taiwan Garbutt. Pollard gets the strip sack, and then Garbutt picks it up, runs it into the end zone. The game was well in hand at that point, but that was just a great explanation point that they were still playing hard to the end. Yeah, and and I like that this was, even though it didn't happen in the first half like I wanted, where where we were mega aggressive uh, in the two-minute drill to from the jump instead of, you know, once, once we got a, one big play there. Um, I like that in the second half, we didn't take our foot off the gas pedal. That, that, mm-hmm. That's that been different than really any other game I've seen this year. We, we weren't content with just having a double digit lead. We weren't just going to sit on that. We were going to keep going. I think it might be the first time all year. I have to go back and look. But it feels like it's the first time all year, second half, we scored more points in first half. Yeah. Maybe a Middle Tennessee might have been the only other one. where middle, scored, Yeah, Middle Tennessee, and that was mainly because the first half was such a downer. <laughs> yeah, West Virginia too. But the West – and I think the, the point we're trying to make is we had points on the board. We had the game under control, and instead of playing conservative – we kept attacking, kept attacking, kept attacking. Yeah. Those other um, games were either close or or we were down going into half. Yeah. Uh, whereas in this case, we we had a, a pretty decent lead taken into the half, and we said we're not done. All right. Yep. I want to ask you one question, Brian. Um, what Jordan Moore did really near the end of the game? I know we were rotating guys in and out. Does it give you any pause for concern? Um, with the run game of how he looked. And I know the last two guys with Van Dyke and potentially Brennan Armstrong aren't that. But just in general, if we start if we keep this similar defense going into twenty twenty two. Uh I think it'll be okay. I think I think there's some tweaks that still need to happen. I think the overall scheme is still a work in progress. I think we did see we have seen overall 
progression from year one to year two in this defense. Um, you know, the question is going to be, is this going to be our defense going into, into next year or not? But, uh, when we talk about the next two games though, um, you know, we are looking at guys that can run the football, um, and they both can throw the ball, uh, assuming both of them are playing, uh, in those games. And that's going to be the struggle, right? Uh, we have struggled with with guys that even weren't the best thrower if they could run and throw, even if they were getting the ball more downfield, like a Schrader. Um, we we struggled there, so we'll, we'll see uh, how that works out. Um, we know Armstrong is more of a throw first uh, player, even though he is an athlete. Um, yep. Van Dyke a little bit of the same, right? So they're they're both still throw first, whereas Schrader was was more of a run and gun deep type uh, type quarterback. Yeah. So. Um, we'll see if that plays more into our, our defense's favor or not, but yeah, it's definitely something to be concerned about, but we'll, we'll, we'll look into it. I'm sure they'll, they'll have some new wrinkles, um, and adjustments, uh, to, to counter some of what, uh, UVA and Miami do. Absolutely. Before we get into just one more piece, (laughs) why are they throwing so many flags on Jermaine Waller for just playing defense and why is the umpire getting in the way and then the back judge throwing a flag on it? Yeah, that that was the worst because the, the the umpire was in the way, which made the receiver stop his route. Instead of diving for the football, he stops his route, and that and Waller was already essentially reading the play as if he was going down for the ball, uh, and now you got a receiver that's like right up on you. I don't like that. Um, you know, there was three flags on him. Probably only one was actually legitimately pass interference. Well, the one him and Bubba were hand fighting. And yeah. literally, it literally, the way it looked, it was like at the last second, his arm was extended right before Bubba's was extended. And they throw, and it's just like, they're fighting. That's not a flag. Um, Again, we talk about the ACC officials. We know they don't like to throw the flags very much in, in the PI. But when um, they do. <laughs> but when they do, it's very inconsistent. I think that's the problem. You know, if you if you're not going to throw it, be consistent. If you're going to throw it, be consistent. I don't care so much one way or the other. I just want you to be consistent. That way, you know, predictable sure. outcomes, right? Yep. Any any shock to you how much he covered Bobo with being six five two twenty? Um, I mean, he's done well against against bigger receivers in the past. So I mean, I I I don't think that was too shocking. Um. He definitely held Bobo in check. Yeah. I mean, just three catches for a little over 30 yards. Yeah. One of Bobo's lower output games all year, reception and. Um, and we know we did, they didn't have the best uh, best quarterbacks pulling the trigger there, but at the same time, you know, he held him in check. Um, even when he had time, he was there in coverage. So, shout out to Waller. Great game. Uh, Absolutely continuing another uh great season here for him yes he is all right real quick brian before we uh take a break and then come back with some uh stuff you've been digging up i wanted to kind of go over the defensive rankings because okay i, I don't know if everybody looks I, it's something i follow but let's go ahead scoring we are 32 in the country we're giving up 21 a game compared to last year leaps bounds better than we were last year leaps and bounds not even a question 
Um, we are a top 15 passing defense, um, but the run defense is still struggling over 103 yards, or excuse me, 130 country, over 186 yards. Um, the red zone D still struggling at 99. But there is something I noticed, and I know you've been talking about this with the new scheme we're in. How many how many red zone trips do you think we've had this year? I'd say few. I'd say significantly fewer than last year. It is. It's only twenty three, and and the numbers are getting a little bit better. Seventeen touchdowns to six field goals, but only twenty three trips. Where when I was digging through the, the data, there are teams that are like UVA has over forty four trips into the red zone against them. Over forty four trips, and they're giving up like seventy five percent of the time a score. And they're ranked higher than us, but it's also like, but you've also let teams get double the times into the 20 yard line. That says something because if they're getting down and you're scoring and they're scoring at a 75% clip and the other, we're only, you know, we're giving up 80, but you're only getting down there two times a game. It, it helps. Total defense 60. Where would you give them a grade right now? defense in general i'd say if somewhere in that b minus c plus range uh, i'd probably go c plus um i'd like to see the red zone improve in terms of stops um and especially forcing the field I, I, we definitely need to force more field goals you know you're you're, yeah. you're rarely gonna give get a get a ton of true stops there but we need to definitely be closer to that you know 65 70 percent uh, in terms of uh, forcing field goals there. Now, when we talk about the running, the rush defense, that that's concerning, but we have done a good job of stopping the bleeding throughout drives. A lot of the the big gains are coming kind of early in the drive, and then we're settling in and then getting off the field. Um, you know, the problem is, is that when they do get in the red zone, that's when the rush defense – should be bowing up a little bit and it hasn't yeah so i think i think that's that's more concerning than necessarily the, the fact that they're getting a bunch of yards there um and we really only had what like two two bad defense like bad defensive games um yeah syracuse two. and um syracuse and notre dame were the two bad defensive games yeah uh um, notre dame it was really it was like a, it was like the B minus game until the end of the game, and then it was the F minus. It went from like, hey, we're doing okay to, what did we just put on the field for two drives at the end of the game? Yeah. So you had you had two bad games. You had two, eh, games like Pitt. Pitt probably goes in that category. Um, you sure? I mean, Pitt was scoring over fifty. We held him to twenty eight. It's an A game because the offense just couldn't do anything. I'm talking about the the rush defense. Oh yeah, yeah, rush defense. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, my bad, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, th- they shouldn't have been able to run the ball like that against us. Got it. Now, now they they held Kenny Pickett as much in check as pretty much any defense has this year. Um, but we gave up too many yards in the run game. Couldn't stop. Couldn't set the edge well. 
Um, outside containing the running game was awful. Extended drives when it shouldn't have. So that was the problem in that game. But like I said, I'd probably go C plus, B minus range overall. Um, definitely the strength of the team outside of special teams this year. Um, and we finally had a couple games in here in the last few weeks where, you know, offense and defense showed up a little bit at the same time, especially against Duke. Finally, it looks like four, four quarters, you yeah. had both sides of the ball doing pretty well. Close to the Georgia Tech game. About one quarter was off of the offense, but Georgia Tech was that way too. And you know what? The next two games, we're going to need it. We're going to need eight quarters of everybody being on the same page um, just to get to a bowl game and to get to a bowl game for these kids who did not get one last year. As there is some normalcy this year, you're going to probably see bowls are probably going to get to go early. There's going to be some protocols, but you, you hope we can – I want to pull both out and then, like – Watch chaos happen, and we like make the ACC championship game, and Witt has to say, "Well, you're shoot. What do we do? 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 What do we do?" It'll be interesting. Yeah, I'll foresee that happening, but yeah, it could still happen. I definitely want to see us. I definitely want to see us win out here, regardless of what happens on that front. Get because both of these games are rivalry games. Both of these games matter on the recruiting trail. There's there's a lot riding on this that. It has nothing to do with who's the head coach next year. 100%. 100%. All right, Brian, before we get into another topic tonight, we are going to take a quick pause for a message from our digital partners. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode. All right, guys, what we're looking at tonight in kind of a discussion, our buddy Mike McDaniels over at Sons of Saturday and Hokie Hangover podcast released a tweet this week talking about Sportico and their college athletic department financial database. I saw it. I peeked at it. But the big guy up here, um, what what do they say, I went, Brian? I went down the rabbit hole. <laughs> For multiple days. Yeah. So, Brian, I'm going to just assume that you looked a lot at VT. I looked a lot at Virginia Tech. Absolutely. That's where I started, and then I started looking at other ACC teams, and then comp teams in other uh, conferences. All right. So, I mean, are we – one to ten, where do we rank? Let's do that first. One to ten, are we terrible? Are we average? Are we slightly above average? Or what would you say? So we so we're, we're kind of in the bottom end in, in overall revenue in the ACC. Um, that probably shouldn't shouldn't shock you, that many people. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look, it, I think it's when you look at the breakdowns, that's where some of the story gets told. So I'm going to throw something up real quick here uh, for the folks watching, um, just to give you an idea of what we're looking at, what I was looking at. Um, and so this is the Can I say one breakdown. thing? Yeah. Can I say one thing? If you're listening to this on the podcast, on 
um, on tomorrow, Tuesday or Wednesday. At about 52 minutes, if you go to our YouTube page, you'll be able to see the documents Brian is, are bringing up. Yep. So what right now I'm just, we're focusing on revenues here. Um, obviously expenses matter, but um, I was more curious about money coming in than I was about, you know, what, what it's getting spent on. Um, so like I said, we got, the, we got the chart here, it, you know, breaks it down by uh, different buckets of where the revenue is coming from. It breaks it down over on the left-hand side of the chart uh, of, you know, where, what sport or in this uh, in this case also non non sport specific so like just a general scholarship type situation uh, where that money's being spent um, or, or where that money's allocated to in terms of the budget um, and there's there's several takeaways here so I'm gonna go ahead and, and and pop this off here and just start talking a little bit more here so let's start with Virginia Tech's numbers. Um, and I'm going to break this into uh, good, bad, and ugly. We're, we're going uh, spaghetti, spaghetti Western here. Always. So we'll start with the good. Uh, we are better than every other ACC t- team in terms of media uh, rights. And that's that's based on, obviously, this is just public uh, schools because it's just public data. Um, so we don't have... Wake Forest numbers. We don't have Miami numbers. We don't have Pitt numbers. We don't have BC numbers. We don't have so Pitt, there, there's a Pitt's not yeah, public. Pitt, Pitt is not public. Well, I did not know that. I always thought Pitt was yeah. public. Yep. So no Wake, no Duke. So there, there's a lot of numbers that we don't have. Probably half the ACC that we don't have. Uh, but in terms of the ones we do, we're at the top in media rights overall. So across all sports. Um. Why do you think that is? I mean, that, that, like, I I think media rights, I think, well, good Lord, we're, 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 we're we're down tucked in Southwest Virginia where someone like Clemson is, you know, north of Greenville, south of Charlotte. You think, you know, UVA, Charlottesville is a pretty good metro area, only in about, you know, an hour west of Richmond. Why, Why do you think we're, we're one of the better media deals? Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know if that has something to do with the ACC network having a studio uh, in Lane or, or any other factor that that's related to that. But we do better than every other school um, in the ACC public wise uh, in terms of those media rights. Um, and that's taking into account that the ACC media deal is absolutely the worst in all of Power Five. Uh, even even Pac-12 is your average school has a is generating more revenue and media rights than your average ACC school. So if we can get that worked out, the, that bucket is going to go up across the board. So it'll go up for Virginia tech as well. Um, and that, you know, it, it starts with getting Comcast on board with the ACC network. It starts with a better uh, deal in terms of the actual um, financial figures per school in the deal overall. So, that's the good, uh, the bad, the bad, the bad. Okay. Uh, while, while not the bottom of the conference in terms of donations, we are behind key competitors. Uh, we are behind UVA, Clemson, FSU, Louisville, uh, and we're pretty much squared up with UNC. And that's, again, that's donations across all sports. So we're not just looking at football. We're looking at across all sports. 
we're we're a shade better in football than than we are in 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 overall but it's not it's negligible yeah this um, now let's say this this is 1920 right this is 1920 yes they they don't have the the fiscal information for the last last uh, calendar year yet. I don't think any school wants to give the fiscal information to yeah yeah <laughs> Well, yeah, so, uh, so and I know donations have been trending up, so we might be, yeah. we may be firmly ahead of UNC. Although UNC has been uh, on a big donation push as well, so they may have matched us there um, with some of the things Mac has been doing, even though it hasn't translated to wins like they'd like on the field. Um, but they have been making a big push in recruiting, and that tends to help with donations and things like that. So, uh, more more than likely, we're probably pretty pretty squared up with UNC still. Uh, but having UVA and obviously uh, Louisville, most of that's basketball. So, yeah. um, th- they're not doing a whole lot on the football front. That that's the team that we ju- you know we jump UVA and um, and Louisville when you just look at football donations. Um, okay. But overall, we're, we're lagging behind. We're um, almost ten million behind Louisville in overall donations, and eight million behind—sorry, seven million behind uh, UVA in overall donations. But the whole thing about thinking overall donations, Brian, isn't it? If they're overall donating more money to whatever sport, football is the biggest pie. So if there's some booster at UVA giving two million to the basketball program. The two million that might come out of the big media rights deal for football, we don't have to pay that over there. Yeah. That, that booster's taken care of it with the big donation, right? Yeah, and and when we looked at the chart earlier, I mean, the majority of our donations are non-sports specific, so that's getting divvied up on some degree of percentage, right? And that's drive for twenty-five. That's yeah. the drive for twenty-five campaign. Yeah, and and Clemson had a very similar thing where they weren't crushing us in football donations, but Ipte, we're going to get to that in a second, is like out of the fucking ballpark. Um, So now let's get to the ugly. And this is the one that I, again, I need to look into more of of where where this is going um, and, and what we're doing, but licensing and ads we are behind pretty much everyone in the ACC and the rest of power five. Uh, we are ungodly low in this bucket. Like we're, we're just over 2 million. Most of the rest of the ACC is 8 million and up. So I'm oh. not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure what we are not doing or doing wrong uh, in this, uh, this sector, but that that is the biggest area that we are lagging behind, even the the bottom feeders uh, in the ACC in terms of uh, revenue. Well, I mean, to me, I would say I hear that. My first thought is, well, we're in Southwest Virginia. The biggest metro city is Roanoke North. The other big metros that we have so much relationship with or hours upon hours away. Yeah. And but there's also see, the, there's also other institutions that are kind of home bases for for those schools as well, right? Well, it's true. Got a car alarm going off one moment. Not my car alarm. There we go. 
Um, probably somebody sitting on a key in their uh, living room. Live show, ladies and gentlemen. This, live this show. Is what happens? <laughs> um, but I think where it may show a real concern is DC is one of the biggest alumni markets. Yep. There's opportunity there. Charlotte, Atlanta, Richmond, the seven five and the beach area, Raleigh, Winston Salem. You have these pockets where there are a ton of alumni. Why aren't we attempting to get some licensing and ads in those areas where there's something there to sell? Yeah, I don't know if this is just the classic VT running the mom and pop organization on the financial side in, in some okay. cases where, you know, we, we become mature in some areas of that. And then others still seem like they're stuck in, you know, the late nineties uh, in terms of, of, of how they go about the business. So I don't know if it's more of a combination of that or what, but that is, that's where we are giving up the most ground to everyone else in our conference. Um, yeah. And because just it's not enough them. is and it's not enough for the media rights to compensate no so just because we're 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 tops in media rights that's not compensating for that drop off um and then you know donations are only you know like we said middle of the road uh, overall so they're they're not bad they're not hurting us but they're not acting as a benefit and when you talk about not just in the conference but when you look at all of power 5 you know, when you're competing against those schools, especially ones that have those better media deals, donations become a bigger role because they are something that if you get the right motivation is easier to start stacking in the bucket, right? Um, so so that's where when we talk about donations and saying donations need to improve, yeah, that that's the easiest to improve. So that's why it's pushed. Um, yeah. But so one other thing I did, uh, was look at some other schools that we compare against. And the the one I kept landing on based on, and, and this was mostly based on kind of historical, at least recent history of, of the success of the programs and the overall alumni base. They're very similar. Uh, so that's Michigan State University. Um, and in terms of donations, uh, pretty much right on the same ballpark as Virginia Tech in terms of the, the revenue in the 1920 year, uh, for donations right at the 21 and a half million, uh, range. Okay. But, but they are kicking our butts in the, in the one area we suffer in and actually in also in the area that we are best in. So this, this shows you how much better the big 10 deal is than, uh, the ACC media rights for Michigan state university are 16 million higher. So they are in the 44 million and change range. Good gracious. Yeah. Uh, then you've got licensing ads. They are 16 and a half million. So they are 14 million higher than Virginia tech in that one, uh, budgetary bucket. And right. those are the those are the two buckets where if you if you sum them up is actually making up the difference between our overall revenues because the overall revenue difference is just over thirty million Virginia Tech just under a hundred million and uh, Michigan State uh, just over one hundred and thirty million. 
so those two areas, the media rights and the licensing and ads are where the big difference is. Well, you're saying 30 overall, and I'm just pulling this up here, Brian, if you want to pull it up on the screen. Their total revenue is $130 million. That's insane. Yeah. Um because if you think about where, yeah, and I'm and I'm and I'm going back and I'm in as you were saying all this, I'm pulling up a map here about where East Lansing, Michigan is. East Lansing, Michigan is about two hours west of Detroit. They're not yeah. Ann Arbor is literally 45 minutes outside where yeah. Michigan is. So that license and ad revenue says a lot to me because and I don't know they're not in a super rural Grand Rapids is a couple hours west. They they're they're more in a I don't know what you'd call it, maybe greater metro area where you're gonna hit cities here and there. But to have that sort of licensing and ads um concerns me. Can can you pull up and tell me just what the licensing ads in football are? Cause I wanna see the difference there because I mean, obviously, Michigan State has Izzo. Michigan State basketball has been on the map for 25 years. What's the difference in license and ad for football compared to um, so so for Virginia Tech? Yeah. All right, let's let's take a look here. So football is essentially a little over half of that total. Um, most of it, most of the rest goes into non-sports specific. So I'm guessing just general licensing of, um, apparel and things like that. Okay. Um, so like the other sports specific. So like if you would go out there and harshly push the 1999 jerseys or some of the pro combat uniforms from the mid two thousands or the early 2010s. So, and Michigan State has a very classic uniform, right? You don't see them go crazy all of a sudden. Yeah. But there, I, I'm sitting here thinking, are we missing the opportunities there where they're not? It's possible. Like, I don't, again, they they don't separate this out, ads versus licensing. So I'm not sure um, what, what Michigan State is doing well that we're not doing. Uh, I just know that we're not doing, doing this to any degree that any other power five school is. So I don't think just geographic region has anything to do uh, with the hindrance there, because there are other schools that have a similar, um, you know, geographic uh, footprint that are doing much better. Yeah. And I like the way Brian, cause I could see the next two Brian's going to talk about here. I like the way you pulled one out of another conference. Because when we think Michigan State football, we are kind of on equals with them. 20 years ago, we were well ahead of them. 15 years ago, we were ahead of them. 10 years ago, we were well ahead of them. Five years ago is when, you know, they made the playoff. They've been more of a power than what we've been. And I also think if, you know, you think about Michigan State University, um, you know, land-grant school, right? Founded about the same time. Back in the 1870s. So age-wise, same age, same type donor base. So, Yeah, um, and, and like I said, overall alumni base is about the same. They're a little bit heavier, and donations are, like I said, are pretty much flat. Um, I think, actually, Virginia Tech has a small overall advantage in donations compared to uh, Michigan State. 
Um, but again, they're making up for that in those media rights and licensing and ads, uh, and then some. Um, but let's go ahead and turn back to the ACC, and we're going to look at the obvious one here, uh, Clemson. And right off the bat, this one shocked me. I know it shocked you when I put it on the on the screen yes, there. Uh, Virginia Tech plus ten million on Clemson in media rights. Well, I, I, I can't explain that one. They're closer yeah. to major metro areas. They're a big brand right now. They're a big brand where you think they could be selling things in these media rights for so many different other opportunities. I mean, good Lord, they had a Disney movie made. Yeah. I know that got some Disney. And again, <laughs> this is 1920. Uh, so that, that would probably be in either last year's uh, numbers or going True. into next year's numbers. True. But um, in general. Yeah, in, ge- in general, you would think Clemson has has been in, in a situation where their media rights would be at least in the ballpark of Virginia Tech, right? Uh, but they're not. Now, football, those numbers are pretty even. Um, okay. And actually, Virginia Tech still has a small advantage there, but, but more or less, they're even there. They're losing the ground in the other sports, Well, um, we all which kind of makes sense. Yeah, we've all heard about the donations in that campaign. How much is that plus minus or plus? All right, so the the difference between Clemson and really any other school is that they make up for it in two areas. And the biggest one is donations, where they double us up. Uh, so how much is their <laughs> number? Uh, they are at uh, $44 million in donations. That's... Uh... And most of that is the non-sports-specific IPTA... Uh, fundraising drive um that that they have ran up to uh, great success um and like i said doubling up virginia tech in that bucket is is significant um but they're also plus 10 million in licensing and ads so they're at that kind of 12 and a half million range Uh, they also do something that not every uh public acc institution does and they actually have a significant direct institutional support uh, where they give uh, five million uh, directly to their athletic department uh, in direct institutional support, whereas Virginia Tech is in the like bare like two thousand. It, it's it's a very small figure. Wasn't the president of that school made the decision back a few years ago that they were going to go all in? Yeah. And it sounds like by giving five to six million dollars. It helps, right? Yeah, the you, only other school that gives direct more is FSU in terms of the publicly available information. Okay. Not helping them a lot now, but still, it's good <laughs> to know it's there. Here's the ones that um, – here's the one I want to talk about. Let's. I want to look at the donations. The direct institutional support, you've got to have a president that's willing to write those checks out of the – out of certain funds to say, yeah. here's 10 million. Um, the licensing and ad things, uh, you know, makes sense, right? Last 10 years, they've won multiple national titles, tons of NFL players. Um, yeah. Something you can go actually go. But here's the thing that the brand is out there. Uh, yes, yes. It, the brand the somewhat that, sells itself, itself. Yeah. Here's the thing where I think Virginia Tech has to figure out what it's doing wrong. 
you know the difference between the amount of living alumni for both schools? It's pretty significant. It is. Clemson's at about 150,000. Virginia Tech's at almost 240,000. That is almost that is 90,000 more give or take alumni. 90,000 more people you can attempt to reach out to to get funding from. And again, why did they start to drive for 25 this? Because if you can get just do the math, Brian. If every single Virginia Tech alumni, actually, you know what? Let's go 80%. Yep. You know, go 80% and say if a, you know, 175000 simply gave $25 a year minimum, it's like a $4 million thing. That's not counting your big donors. That's not counting people giving more. Um, that's 25 a year. Now, if you say they're going to do it 25 every month, I mean, through the roof, through the roof, um, you essentially at like 150, 175,000, 170,000 people, you're looking at like 50 million. It's $300 a year. And you don't know everybody's situation, but if to push the donation thing, the 25 was kind of an ingenious move to me. You get people going and they give 25. And then you say, you know, can you give 25 every month? A lot of people will say, yeah. Right. Yeah. Almost. I mean, I don't think there's anyone that can say, unless they are just so fed up with the direction of a program or the athletic department as a whole, that they wouldn't give $25 a year. Yeah. I mean, yep. and then once you get $25 a year, all right, well now 50, do two months. Well, even if you don't do that, you, you get 25 every time there's a seasonal uh, fundraising event. Yeah. You know, you, you get the, the ones that kind of come either, whether it's giving day, whether it's, um, you know, the mm-hmm. stuff during the season, whether it's a, a specific campaign uh, within basketball season or football season, you get like, five or six of those opportunities in a given calendar year or fiscal year, I should say. And, um, you know, now they start giving 25 every time there, you know, that, now that's starting to build. So, um, it, it's, it's a, it's a good campaign. I'm hoping that we start Reconnect. seeing more, yeah. you know, more, more participation. Cause I think the problem now isn't, isn't the dollars. It's the, it's the participation. If we can get participation to be a little bit closer to the goal, yeah, then I, th- I think you'll start seeing. Uh, you know, and I'm, I'm not saying we're going to get to Clemson numbers, but I think we can match UVA numbers, which yes. is we're, we're about to talk about now. Well, let's go ahead um, and talk so, about that. We found from the UVA crowd. Yeah. So uh, the big two again. Let's 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 talk about it. It's similar to it's it's not to the degree of Clemson, but it's very much in the same same vein. Uh, we are behind six and a half million in donations um, to UVA. They're in the, the 27 and change million uh, category there. So we're giving up some ground to um, UVA there. A lot of that isn't football. Some of that is basketball. Some of that is just general donations. But uh, it's it's still something where we're lagging behind a department that we consider ourselves to be better than uh especially in football and more more recently catching them in overall uh athletic prowess um 
So let's talk about the other piece of it. So we've talked about lagging behind licensing ad. That's been across the board. We're we're behind eight million uh, compared to UVA in <laughs> licensing and ads. Um, what exactly are they publishing out there that you know that people are? You know, I'm guessing it's going to be the basketball stuff. That's the only thing I can think of. Um, I, I, I can't imagine <laughs> anything else. Um, and, and I guess maybe, I mean, they have a lot of sports that they play at a high level, right? Sure. So, so yeah. they, they have a strong top to bottom athletic department, even though their football has lagged significantly behind overall. 15 uh, years. Which, yeah. 15 years yeah so um i still don't get why why we're struggling like i i would i don't i don't have a problem that we're behind in it i have a problem how far we're behind in it yeah yeah if yeah that makes sense well for for them for uva as far as don't the no nations never upset me because there's always been stories there they've had three or four large donors that love the athletic that they're not stroking one million dollar checks they're stroking $10 million checks. And yeah. if a guy's stroking that every year because he's got the excess cash, that's tough to catch up. Clemson did it the other way. Clemson went volume. We're going to get as many people involved, giving as much money along with big donors. Again, the licensing and ad, I, I just don't get. I know you talk about the basketball program. You know, it, it seems to me, and you've said it before, and we've heard it before. It is the mom and pops organization that's running the donations and that's running things like that. It's not the donations. The, like you can't do that. Pull up, pull up, pull up the screen one more time, Brian. Just, just, just so everybody can realize this. Scroll down just a little bit so we can see total revenues. No, no revenues. Oh, my bad. We're a hundred million dollar athletic department. We are a hundred million dollar business. A hundred million dollars. I'm in the insurance business. I see many businesses every day that do not have that sort of gross income. So what this tells me is they've got to spend more money on operations, more people updating it. You said it earlier, Brian. It's not the 1990s still. You cannot recruit it. And we've had several conversations on this, you know, on this podcast before about it. Yeah. And I don't think what we're saying, I'm not, I'm not saying, I know Curtis isn't saying it either. We're not saying if financials improve, so will product. It's a piece of the pie. It's not the whole puzzle. No, it's not. Uh, There's a lot of things that have to improve recruiting overall, not just the investment in recruiting, but you got to get better at recruiting and closing. Yep. You got to get better on in-game adjustments. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that are related to the coaching staff directly that still need to be fixed. But if you want to set up anyone for success, finances have to get better. And you know what? We talked about it last week too, Brian. Give Witt credit. Where we are financially from where when he came in after Jim Weaver, we're well ahead. We talked about it last week, remember? And yep. you said you said specifically, and this was before this reporting came out. We're better financially than what we were six years, seven years ago, yep. and that's big. We can be better though, and I think now that 
you know, obviously the next hire is big in football for Whip. Very big. And when he's going through that interview, I think if you have someone from the marketing department talking to him, right? Like, listen, what, yeah, we want a great football coach. We want a guy who's can get can motivate the kids, can recruit. But we also want somebody out there that can sell the program. They can sell the program. Sell the program, get the donors, make the donors happy. And some of that's, you know, on well, the, the field product. Well, the donors. But, but, but some the, of that is talking to the donors, conversations with the donors, access. Well, like, there, there's the, so many things that this this regime has not done well that affect how donors are willing to uh, hand over their funds. But after seeing this tonight, too, Brian, the licensing and ads. Yeah. If you and have that's something that that's something that doesn't really that's an internal thing. That's an internal thing. But if you have a more if you Mike Young right now. Tell me that there is eventually not going to be someone that loves hokey basketball enough that has some big company that is going to be willing to stroke a big check to say, I want to sponsor this. I want Virginia Tech stuff on my merchandise. Yeah. You've got to have that sort of personality who can go out and sell the program and then convince, well, I'm going to buy some ads. Yeah. I want to do this. I want to put your logo on the side of my, I've got my company polo and I want your logo over here. So how much do I have to do? Can we talk about an Amazon deal sponsoring football? I mean, we, we, we've got a, uh, a relationship with Amazon in place now. Um, let's go ahead and... Give us $100 million. $100 yeah, million well, I, think, I think the problem is that with football, they limit the small sponsorships, but they are very stuck in these... The, we have these relationships that we've had for, for years, and we're sticking with them. We're yep. not looking for new ones. Like, it, it's, it's very much a... We have what we have, and we're happy with it, so we're not we're not touching it. But the brand is bigger. Go after something else. Exactly. Brian, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you massive kudos. Um, great research job on this. Hoping opening people's eyes. Go to Sportico. Go to the SEC and look what a program like Arkansas. Arkansas is like 137 million dollars revenue a year, and I know a lot of that's from media rights, but they've got a lot of other stuff going on too. All right, Brian, let's talk about Saturday pick before we close it up tonight. Um, Brian, rough week. Yeah, it was bad. It was bad. Brian went three and seven, um, got Pitt, got BC, got NC State. No, did not get NC State. My bad. Hold on here. I got Pitt. I got. Uh, see who did I get? Uh, Pitt, BC, and Michigan. Michigan. Yeah, that was the other one. All right. So I might have done. Brian went three and seven. Uh, fifty-nine and fifty-two and one. I went everywhere. I went, we differed. You were right. Three, yeah, the Notre Dame UVA game. Brian was expecting Armstrong to play. He didn't. I went five and five, so I have to change some stuff up here. 
I missed the looks. I thought I took weight, but I didn't. It, coin flip situation for me this week. And, you know, we you feel like in this we got, like, Miami had it covered, gave up a fourth and 14, and then the touchdown to lose the game. NC State lost, what, by three? Yep. When you have two and you lose by three, it's gut-wrenching. Um, the Baylor-Oklahoma game, I, I, I went Baylor. I don't know why. I, I guess I just thought home field. But, you know, one of those weekends, the one that I think shocked me and you more than anything, Pitt beating UNC by a touchdown. Pitt had a really off night. But Cuse Louisville. Yeah. Did anybody see that coming? Nah. Louisville jumped on their ass early, too. They did, and it wasn't like turnovers or anything like that. Because I was, when I opened up the the game, the stat central for that, I was expecting to see I right, Schrader probably threw three picks, or they they a fumble they fumbled. or a return, yeah, some, no. some, maybe a pick six, maybe a, pick, a scoop and score. They had some bad punting. Yeah, They're, they had bad punting, and that was it. So I don't know. Um, Tennessee hung in there with Georgia for a while. But I was talking with my father-in-law a little earlier today, and it's something about Georgia. It was 10 nothing early, right? Or 10-7? 10-7 early, yeah. How quick did Kirby Smart adjust? Second quarter, he adjusted to what Tennessee yep. was doing, and Tennessee couldn't readjust. Second quarter, he had adjusted, and by the second half, it was locked down. It was over. And it's crazy because what I was talking about with him was, well, when you have that many much talent on the field, you can't adjust that quick. Most teams, it's like, we have to get to halftime to figure this out. Yeah. We can't adjust on the fly like this. Because most yeah, they teams adjusted, they adjusted on the fly to stop any bleeding, and then they made full on adjustments that locked them the hell down at halftime. It was crazy to see um that go on. Uh how much else here, Brian? Anything breaking? I haven't seen anything come across, buddy. All right. I, I am updating. I'm adding one to my lost column and taking away one. So I am 64 and 44 now. Just so you I know. Got some, I got some ground to make up next week. He's got ground. Brian's going to have to just go opposite view every time. I got to go at least four against you every week from here on out if I'm going to make up some ground, I think. Four against us for two weeks. Then you have to choose every championship game against me. That's going to be fun. And then bowl games. It can happen. It can happen. It is possible. All right, well, if nothing has happened, buddy, or broken since we started about 930 tonight, That is going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website at BoundaryCornerBT.com to listen to all of our episodes. While you are there, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Subscribe to our YouTube account and your favorite podcast source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. We always let our buddy Jason Long play us in, play us out. Catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. Brian, five and five. We're back to 500. We got a shot at a bowl now. 
We thank you guys always for listening. Rate review, rate and review us. Give us feedback. DM us. Don't be afraid to. We don't bite. As always, buddy. Let's go, Hokies.